Welcome to episode one of the Strawsburg, Virginia Heritage Association podcast. Today, you will hear Kathy Kehoe share a folk history about the iconic Virginia restaurant that used to be located in the center of town in Strawsburg, Virginia. Hi, this is Kathy Kehoe. I am a board member and newsletter editor of the Strasbourg Heritage Association. I am reading A Folk History of the Virginia Restaurant, written by Kathy Kehoe for the Fall 2009 newsletter. A Folk History of the Virginia Restaurant It was the place to be, says Strasbourg native Larry Alamong, about the local teenage hangout and family restaurant on the corner of Holiday and King. Right on the corner, right in the middle of town. The Virginia restaurant was the Brill family business from the 1930s until the 1970s. Many a memory was made at this center of the town social life where everybody knew your name, as described by another Strasburg native, Belinda Pappas Palmer. Sue Foster remembers it was a wonderful hangout and meeting place for teenagers. It was where teenagers flocked before and after high school football and basketball games, before and after school, and on Saturday nights, and where families would come for the famous turkey and dressing Sunday dinners after church. And everybody came for Buggy's famous ketchup, a homemade version of sweet ketchup unique to the restaurant. Ask any Strasburg native what they remember about the Virginia restaurant, and the stories flow like, well, like ketchup. Ketchup that flowed easily from red plastic bottles onto freshly sliced french fries and real beef hamburgers. Longtime employee Liz Richards has the recipe and makes a batch every so often. This writer can attest that it really does taste like the sweet ketchup of my youth. Liz attributes the origin to an employee known as Mrs. Sager, who added cornstarch and sugar. They would make the ketchup two or three times a week, and after a few days, it would ferment and the tops would pop off if it wasn't used fast enough. Liz also remembers kids getting into ketchup fights in the restaurant. Huge tubs of potatoes would be peeled and sliced every day and fried in bats of lard, then served with Buggy's ketchup. Buggy's son Byron Brill told me they always made a pot of beans, 20 pounds a day, and a 30-pound turkey on Sunday. They got all fresh meat from Brill's Grocery down the street and had their own key in case they needed something when the store was closed. Jane Richard remembers eating her french fries with homemade gravy. It was 15 cents for a plate full of fries and 5 or 10 cents for a Coke served in a classic shaped glass with Coca-Cola emblazoned on the side in red letters. The Brill family consisted of Clarence, better known as Buggy, and his brothers Pearlie and Obadiah, called Obi, and Obi's wife Louise. Louise had the nickname of Skillet because, as Larry Alamong tells us, 
Whenever there was a ruckus or fight in the restaurant, Skillet would come out with a large cast iron skillet and run everybody off. Buggy's son Byron relates that his father got the nickname Buggy because as a boy in the first part of the 1900s, he had a cowlick that resembled the shape of a buggy whip in the stand of a wagon. Byron's job in the family business was to empty the trash for the seven days a week that the business was open. The Brills worked hard to maintain a good family restaurant while making their customers feel comfortable. Each generation of Strasburg's teenagers thought of it as their own and often taxed the patience of the Brills as they worked. Buggy especially is remembered as having a watchful eye over the crowd. John Painter remembers him as a hard-working, good Christian man who put up with a lot. His many acts of kindness often went unnoticed. Waitress Patsy Cameron Rutz remembers how, in the 60s, men down on their luck would come in and ask for food, usually carrying a backpack and probably walking and hitchhiking along their way. They would ask for something to eat and Buggy would instruct the waitresses to give them a bowl of soup and a glass of ice water at no charge. Patsy doesn't remember him ever turning anyone away. During this writer's teenage years, we had nicknames for other waitresses. Zora Robinson was serenaded. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson, whenever the song by Simon and Garfunkel played in the jukebox. Sadie, who maneuvered between the booths in what we called old ladies' self shoes, black laced up shoes with a high arch, was adorned with the nickname Sexy Sadie after the Beatles song. The jukebox, Belinda Pappas remembers, was a big Wurlitzer jukebox that Harry Fate kept supplied with the most current 45 RPM singles. It cost a dime to play one with three for a quarter. Liz Richards worked often in the kitchen with Obie, who would tell her stories about the early days in the restaurant. During the Great Depression, Liz remembers they opened with whatever they had, hot dogs or whatever. The restaurant was among many local businesses that accepted scrip, which were legal promissory notes printed by the Northern Virginia Daily and approved by the U.S. Treasury Department. The daily employees were paid with scrip, who then used it in local businesses, which helped keep the small town's economy going. Then the war started and everything got going again, said Liz. There was a time when the restaurant would close for a few hours each night to clean so they could reopen by 5 a.m. The American Visco factory workers would come in off the graveyard shift, riding the company bus home from Front Royal, after working all night. They would order graveyard stew, hot milk, salt and pepper, a little butter, and crackers. Another story from the 30s was one handed down in the Alamong family. Larry's father, Jim Alamong Sr., played Prince Charming when he rode a horse into the Virginia restaurant, picked up a girl he was dating at the time, and they rode off together through the front doors. The Virginia restaurant booths were legendary. Tall backed oak with coat rack poles extended atop, 
They could hold six to eight teenagers at a time. The black marble tops were often shiny wet from the wash rag as the booths were filled immediately when emptied. If you dropped anything under the table, you would marvel at the pounds of chewed gum stuck to the bottom. John Painter has a theory that because kids weren't allowed to chew gum in school, they would pop in the gum as the 3.30 bell rang. John says the walk from the high school to the Virginia restaurant was only three blocks, time enough to deplete the gum sugar. Thus, it was inedible that the multitudes would clear their mouths in anticipation of a cherry coke and french fries by transferring their gum to the heaping mound on the table's underside. By heaping, I mean a near-continuous layer four or five wads thick. Every booth had its own graffiti. Larry remembers his mother's name, Joanne Barrow, was carved in one booth. Some years later, his initials appeared in another booth alongside the initials BP. Belinda Pappas Palmer says neither she nor Larry carved the initials, but she believes a friend did it to tease her when they were high school sweethearts. Alan Samuels had an uncle, Samuel Wolfson, whose name was carved into a booth. There was a large table in the front of the restaurant placed at the large window that looked out on the street, where you could always see someone standing on the corner or a carload of teenagers circling the block. After football or basketball games, everyone would be there waiting for the Rams players to show up. The front table was for them, says Sue Foster. Larry remembers how one could sit at the front table and loiter all Sunday morning, drinking Cokes and talking, but when noon approached, Buggy would ask you to leave so he could use the table for the Sunday dinner crowd, who would be coming after church. The tall metal scales that sat near the front door gave you your weight for a penny, and a phrase would pop up in a little window that told your fortune. The words, your weight and fate, were printed on the side. John Painter remembers how detection by Buggy of unacceptable behavior resulted in swift and certain application of the ultimate punishment, being banned from the Virginia restaurant. John says, while this may not seem like a big deal to you now, consider for a moment the effect in a small town with only one meeting place for the tight-knit cliques of teenagers. Consider being excluded from the plans of your buddies or wondering who is sitting next to the girl that you are secretly sweet on this week. Banishment could be for a week, a month, or for dangerous or threatening behavior forever. Larry Alamong, who admits to being banned from the front a few times, was allowed to come and sit in the friendly atmosphere of the kitchen, where he delighted in getting fresh hot food right away, getting larger portions, and having the pleasure of conversation with Pearlie. Alan Samuels, whose parents owned and operated Joe Wolfson Clothing Store, said his parents preferred also to eat in the kitchen and visit with Obie and Louise. 
And then there were those Halloween nights when the booze were packed with kids. Obie told Liz that at different times over the years there had been a chicken, possum, and a goat put in the back door on Halloween night. The animals would run down the aisles between the booths with laughing kids yelling them on. Sue Foster remembers that one Halloween someone released pigeons inside the restaurant. Buggy Bill was angry, which was unusual. He was a very patient man. Brenda Ken- Kenny Stensony remembers when a boy from Woodstock put a duck in the back door. All you could see was Buggy running down behind the bar to the back door. One Halloween, the back door opened and ten chickens were put in. Larry said he was there that night, and the chickens were running under the tables, strutting down the aisles, flapping into the booths, and cackling all over the place. After the guys collapsed laughing, they helped catch the chickens, which was more fun than the grease pig contest at the county fair. Belinda remembers, the afternoon JFK was shot, the restaurant was full, but many people didn't even get Cokes. For the half hour or so I was there, I don't think one person spoke. Some of us cried, but it was very silent. I still remember that absolute stillness. Buggy asked Liz to come back and cook the last meal before the restaurant closed. She made the traditional Sunday turkey dinner with dressing, mashed potatoes, and gravy, served on a section dinner plate. When I recall the innocence, the simplicity of our lives then, the feeling of potential excitement, and the camaraderie, it was a place where everybody knows your name. I'd give a lot for one more afternoon in the Virginia restaurant, writes Belinda Pappas Palma. And John Painter reflects, In a lot of ways, the Virginia restaurant defined my childhood and early years, as it also did for my generation from Strasburg, Virginia. When it closed, it confirmed to most of us that we were not children any longer. And as the Bible says, it was time to set aside childish things. May the sweet memories shared by we, the members of the Virginia Restaurant alumni, bring to us and to all smiles and comfort forever. I hope you enjoyed the folk history and please check out the Strasburg Heritage Association website for links to archive newsletters more great folk stories, and other historical information. The past comes alive when we share our memories.